Welcome to After the Fact, a Knowing Faith mini-episode where we look to take a big question and address it in just a few minutes. Typically, the questions we consider will line up with our larger topic for this season, and that's certainly true for our time today. This season, we're discussing Genesis 1 through 11 on Knowing Faith, and I get to chat with Dr. Benjamin Quinn today. Dr. Quinn is Assistant Professor of Theology and History of Ideas at the Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, He is a husband, a father, and a pastor. Dr. Quinn, welcome to After the Fact. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Kyle. Good to be here. All right, so here's the big question for you, Dr. Quinn. If Augustine was to read the first 11 chapters of Genesis, <laughs> what might be some of the distinctives of his hermeneutic or his approach? How would he approach those chapters in a way that would maybe be distinct to him? Good question. So I'm going to get it. I'm going to go fast and uh, and fly high. So Augustine, when he's converted um, around the year 386, and he's about, he's in his early 30s by this point, the very first commentary that he turns to write is actually one on Genesis. Hmm. And he does so against a group of people called the Manichees that he had been a part of for a little over a decade. And very quickly after coming to Christ, he sees the Manichees not as not as reputation or not as personal enemies per se, but theologically they really were enemies because they undo so much of what's true and rich and good and Christ-centered about the scriptures. And especially, and this this directly begins to answer your question, especially as it relates to the doctrine of creation. Hmm. So over Augustine's lifetime, first of all, there's a development in his thought and there's a development in how he approaches Genesis 1 through 11, Genesis 1 through 3 specifically. About five different times he addresses it. The very first time, if you look at that early commentary written just a couple after, a couple years after he's converted, um, to be honest, it's kind of weird. He does all kind of crazy <laughs> allegorical stuff. He's, he's really pushing back against some extremities of Manichaean thought. By the time you get to his much more mature thought, though, and this comes about the, you know, the works that Augustine is most popular for, uh, Confessions, City of God, On the Trinity, On Christian Teaching, these kind of what we would call his mature works. By the time he looks at Genesis 1 through 11 at that point, here are some of the, the distinctives of his interpretation that you're going to notice. First of all, um, he's going to be very clear on a very healthy doctrine of creation. What I mean by that is he's not going to see something like the spirit world is bad and the, or the, the material world is bad, spirit world is good. He's going to work really, really hard to push against that. There remains some measure of a spiritual side maybe better than the material side, and whether that's true or not is another point. There'll still be some of that, but he's going to always remember that sort of bad 10 years of Manichaean life that he experienced. And when he returns to Genesis 1 through 11, that's always who he's going to be sort of in the back of his mind and who he's arguing with, so to speak. Yeah. Secondly, he's also going to always be deeply Christ-centered. That shouldn't surprise us, but maybe for some of your your hearers, when they hear the word Christ-centered in in terms of interpretation or hermeneutics, Mm -hmm. they may think, oh, that's about 10 years old. And I want to say, no, that's about, I don't know, 1900 years old, somewhere (laughs) somewhere in there. Um, And Augustine, when he's turning to any part of scripture, but especially the Old Testament, Psalms in particular, but Genesis 1 through 11 too, he's going to see in the beginning, in fact, right there, he's going to circle that in his Latin text. And he's going to say, you know, that in that beginning, the way that his text reads, there's Jesus. Right there is the mm-hmm. same beginning that John's talking about, the mm-hmm. same beginning that Colossians 1 is referring to. That's Jesus there. Um, in fact, his, his Psalms commentaries are summarized. He called them the totus Christus because he saw the whole Christ there. And that's true, really, of his interpretation of all of the Old Testament. The third thing I would say on that, Kyle, is... My, probably my favorite part of so much that I've learned from Augustine, my favorite part is that he always interprets the scripture with what he calls the double love in mind. Yeah. And this is nothing more than the great commandment. Um, he has in, in his little book on hermeneutics called On Christian Teaching or On, on Christian Doctrine. 
He says, any interpretation of scripture that doesn't undergird love for God and love for neighbor is an invalid interpretation, period. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a lot There's a lot of questions. There's a lot to be said. That's not the end of the conversation. But sure. I always hear that as if, if Jesus is right that there's nothing, and if he is because he's Jesus, if, there, if he's right that there's nothing more important about living in his world than to love God and to love other people, then that applies to everything in life, including how we interpret the Bible. Yeah. Not just how we parent and how we pastor and how we work and all the, I mean, those things too, but even how we interpret the Bible is Jesus who said, all the law and the prophets were pointing to me. So when you go back to those, um, also recognize the most important thing about living in my world is that you love God and love other people. So if, you've, if you draw from any interpretation of scripture, something that you can't draw straight lines to love for God and love for other people, You've you've somehow fallen off the radar. You've got you've yeah. gotten fallen off the wagon, so to speak, and yeah. that always then sort of guides and directs his not only interpretation but then application of scripture. Yeah, man, that's so rich, Doctor. Um, okay, so here's here's uh, maybe just a follow up question. When uh, so much of kind of contemporary thought, particularly just in you know the churches, the the people in our churches, if they've dealt with the Book of Genesis in those early chapters, and they have dealt with it in terms of uh, in contrast with other viewpoints, it's primarily yeah. been in contrast with like a uh, kind of a, a naturalistic approach to uh, thinking through the creation of the world. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe you, you mentioned the Manichees. Talk to us a little bit about, so if Augustine is arguing against them, what was really the main thing that they were kind of viewing about the created order that he was trying to course correct? And how is that maybe different than when we think about our contemporary kind of conversation Mm -hmm. partners outside of the Christian Mm -hmm. faith? What would be some of the fundamental differences between the Manichees and a evolutionary naturalist approach or right, something like right. that. Right, right. Yeah, good question, because there is quite a stark contrast, and I'll be I'll be as quick as I can on that. Um, first of all, when Augustine is reading, wh- whether we're talking about his early stuff or his more mature stuff, when he's reading Genesis 1 through 3 or expanded out to Genesis 1 through 11, for him, the questions that he's asking are not, how old is the earth? Right. I'm not saying that's not an important question. That's just sure. not the question. He's In fact, nobody's asking that question until the Reformation, really. Right. Yeah. Um, at least not from a sort of scientific angle, the way that sure. we're doing so now. Um, but he also, in terms of, do we read it allegorically? Do we read it literally? Do we read some spiritual in-between, something like sure. that? He's, he's doing all of these things. Yeah. Centered around the person of Jesus. He's doing all these things, and even in his more mature works, which he will call the more literal reading, is still when you read it, you think that's not exactly what I think of when I when I think of literal. Right. So yeah. it, he's still even the we're lost in translation and lost in culture a bit on those kind of things. However, so one stark difference would be he's not first concerned with how old is the earth. Secondly, he's he's not even he's not questioning or wondering about um, you know are are we coming from chimpanzees and those kind of things? Is right. there actually an original Adam and Eve? He's not asking those questions the same way. He's assuming the story uh, first of all as story. The right. second that he approaches the whole of Scripture, he doesn't approach the Scripture as any kind of a scientific text. He approaches the Scripture as what I call from a mentor of mine: it's the true story of the whole world. Right. And this is the coherent narrative that really is given to us from God's point of view with all of its ups and downs and the hero being the person of Jesus. Even the way that he writes his City of God, which incorporates a lot of Genesis material into it, is precisely that. The first half of City of God is here's the pagan version of the narrative of the world. The rest of the City of God is here's the Christian version of the rest of the world. And he puts it together that way. That being said, though, in terms of what he's pushing back against, um, specifically with the Manichees, I'll mention two things in particular. 
first of all, their understanding of the creation of the world. It's sort of an extreme and uh, an extreme and sort of perverted religious version of Platonism, certain, certain okay. forms of Platonism, um, where they're going to see the beginning of things as being the sort of um, the result of this cosmic battle between good and evil. Right. Yeah. So that by itself is we're already into a different world. It's not a world that's entirely unknown, even from ancient Near Eastern literature, but it's a world that's different from the from the Bible. Right. And then secondly, related to that, I think most important, and this is why I say the doctrine of creation features so strongly for uh, for Augustine, is because one of the most fundamental Christian confessions that we can make, one of the most fundamental, is that the creator is wholly other than the created. Yeah. There is a hard and fast line that we have to draw between who God is in himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, and everything else in creation. Now, what we're not saying is that God has no relationship with his creation. Clearly, that's not true. He, he does operate in time. He has come to us in the person of Jesus, God in the flesh. All of those things are true. But we can't ever, we as the creatures can't ever push so far back that we somehow cross, we think that we cross that threshold and that we are somehow the creator or the other way around that we pull God so far across that threshold that we've collapsed the distinction between creator and creation. And Augustine is always protecting that barrier. He's always protecting that distinction. God is God. We are the creator. He's creator. We are creature. Everything else then is, is creation. The Manichees don't see it that way. The Manichees see it as um, that there is that the rest of creation is this sort of emanation from where it's somehow connected with and has this sort of weird uh, divine spark and these kinds of things that are going on, that there's no fundamental distinction between the creator and the created, that there's basically good and bad kinds of stuff, and you want to get as much of the good stuff as you can and release that good stuff and do away with the bad stuff, which is the worst of this sort of spirit matter dualism that's yeah. going on. Augustine wants to kick against that as hard as he can. Yeah, man, that's fascinating. Dr. Quinn, thank you so much for joining us on After the Fact today. Absolutely.